Welcome to After Hours After Radio Book Club, which is a collaboration between KGNU Community Radio and the Boulder Bookstore. I'm Maeve Conran of KGNU. As always, my co-host, Arsene Kashkashian of the Boulder Bookstore. And uh, our guest today, local author, Alison Ames, who has joined us to talk about her latest book, To Break a Covenant. And in the Radio Book Club, the radio version of the interview, we talked a lot about the themes in the book. It's a horror book, a psychological thriller. It's a book about friendship. It's a young adult book. But Alison, I want to hear about what it was like working here at the Boulder Bookstore, because this <laughs> was where you were writing, or at least started to write the book. So <laughs> why, uh, what was happening here at the bookstore that led you to some of the horror, and especially the nightmares that are described well, well, in this book? <laughs> I, was, I was her like direct supervisor for a lot of the time. So. Yes. So uh, maybe we could figure out where the horror came from. I was going to say, were you having some bad nightmares when you were getting off from your shift here at the bookstore? I actually had a lot of dreams while I was working here where I was just working. Like I would work like an eight-hour shift and then I would wake up and go to work and it was like a very normal day in my dream. So that was that was not quite a nightmare, but it was it certainly infiltrated my psyche. But I love, I love it here. I loved it here. I... Um, I didn't realize how many people come in on vacation or while they're, you know, figuring out where to live and they're like, oh my God, I totally want to work here. Oh my God, you should give me an application. And my friend Chris, who is still a very good friend of mine to this day, when I came in and I was like, oh, I'm moving to Boulder. I totally want to work here. And he was like, yeah, let me give you an application. And I was like, oh, that guy totally wants me to work here. I was like, I had no idea that it was just it's just constant. It's just constant young people who like books being like, oh yeah, I'm going to do it. But they did let me work here. Um, and I was a bookseller for a couple of years and then I started doing used book buying and it's a pretty consistent influx, but there are slow days and snow days and just like times when you do have some downtime. And so there was, um, my friend Trevor who would work with me, I would be in one of my like Wikipedia K-holes and I would be like, did you know that there are 27 corpses on Mount Everest right now? Let me tell you about each one of them. And he's just standing there like, I'm going to put some stickers on stuff. I'm like, yeah, but also I'm going to tell you about, so that was a lot of, you know, and just like you find weird stuff in people's used book boxes. Like somebody will try and sell you a book and then there's a random like photograph in there and you're like, Oh, what happened? You hope it was something good. <laughs> like probably not. Or, you know, you'll be looking through a book and it's like, dear forever love. I'm so excited for us to read this book together forever. And then you're like, Ooh, okay. Not quite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever, what's the strangest thing that you can remember down in the used book office? Because it is true, you open those boxes and you just never know. Like nine times out of 10, there's nothing, but every now and then there's some really, people leave their journals, yeah. you know, people leave all sorts of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of like half finished uh, foreign language workbooks, which is always kind of a shame because you're like, oh, you were trying. But we did once get, uh, a note that was in, I want to say that it was like fear and loathing, but I don't think it actually was, but it just felt like it should have been. But it was like that really cute, like girly bubble handwriting. And it was like, dear Jake or whoever, like doing acid with you and your Subaru was the most magical. And it was like a two page long 
letter about like the expansion of their minds and how much they loved each other and like I'll see you in class or whatever and then like little you know bubble hearts and and whatnot I was just like this is so perfectly the thing of Boulder of like living in a college town that is sort of known for kind of being trippy and open-minded and I was like if I if I had written this somebody would be like this is too on the nose like it's got to be slightly weirder like it can't just be college girl does acid with a cute boy <laughs> but I did I did love that one and are these artifacts that are say letters or things that are left as bookmarks in books or is it just sometimes bookmarks sometimes they're just like in the front like you know if you I, I guess the idea is if you break up with somebody and they've written you something nice in the in the cover of a book that they gave you you're not necessarily having that memory as you're like oh I got to get rid of some stuff like I haven't read this book in forever you know I think Julie gave it to me and you know you so you end up not remembering what's in stuff and just sort of putting it out with the bathwater. and then I think a lot of people also sell their family members stuff so it'll be a box that's like mostly books but it was very clearly in somebody's garage or whatever and then there's a bunch of stuff in there that's not books that just the box was mostly books and so they were like okay we're just going to take this to the book store and then it's like here's a weird like sleeve like I did get like a t-shirt sleeve once and I was just like just put that right into the trash can but there will be like little toys sometimes like little figurines and stuff like that so we had kind of a weird variety of stuff that we would stick on the top of the computer monitor of like here's a paper clip with google eyes that somebody you know had at some point that was their friend and now it's ours that's so. like a great premise for a book it was it was it definitely and because i'm sort of the way i am you know if i see one little thing that then becomes or can have the potential to become a full obsession so you know or it would be like it would be just a weird book like we would get the weirdest things that just I've never seen before and I've never seen since. And it would be like the sexy crock pot cookbook or whatever, where it's like specifically recipes that you then would like put on your body or whatever. So it's like crock pot body chocolate. And like, that's a thing that there's a whole cookbook of that you've never known existed. And so you get ideas and you see stuff that you might want to read that we don't necessarily sell at the bookstore so there would be stuff that i'd be like oh this looks really cool and then we've never sold it so we're not going to sell a used copy of it so it goes away but kind of seeing and you can kind of get a picture of like the person that mm -hmm. has sold you these books like you're like oh okay you had you had kind of a irobot phase and and then you had a dune phase and whatever phase you're in now is clearly still happening but you you know and it's kind of fun to I guess explore the the way that people like interact with their stuff and read their books because you also get a lot of stuff where it's like you can tell that somebody really loved this book and you're like I can't buy this because you've broken the spine yes. into like just a perfect curve there's just no tension at all in the spine but like I wonder why they get rid of it then if they obviously love the book you know well and that's like and then you wonder and you're like what could have happened and my brain unfortunately generally goes to dark places so it's never like oh maybe they got an even nicer copy it's like oh they probably died and it was really sad and nobody wants their old weird book anymore and now the book is sad you know i get very i can like anthropomorphize uh everything sort of to 
to an insane degree. I just degree, read but... an article, I can't remember if it was the New York Times or Washington Post, but it was about a woman who goes around thrift stores and tries to reunite some of these artifacts that end up in thrift stores with, say, family. So it could be a photograph or a letter or a journal or a, a book that has an inscription in it. And she, I don't know how she started doing that. I guess she just bought something in a thrift store and thought this needs to yeah. go back to the family. And she would reunite these artifacts and the families are thrilled. It could have been, you know, the grandmother's love letter to right. someone yeah. and has ended up maybe in the Boulder bookstore, yeah. used book department or in a thrift store somewhere. And this young woman goes around and sort of reunites and it's become this huge life mission of hers to connect people with these artifacts you know i wonder nowadays is it just going to be tweets and you know we won't have those physical yeah. artifacts anymore because everything's digital because you do sometimes get these long beautiful letters that are yeah. so often like nobody writes like this but um you know the irony that ali brought up i always i'm always struck by the people who love their books the most and are the best readers are the worst used book sellers because They've loved their books to death. And then it's the people who get gifted books and they never crack the spine. They never tried to read it. And then they're, ones, they're the ones who get the most money back because yeah. they're like, all their books are still in great condition. And you're like, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, oh, you didn't you didn't make it very far. Yeah, I some of the books I would get, I'm like, did you just, you, you opened it and then you just immediately like cranked it in half so you could really get in there. And I appreciate that and I respect it, but in terms of selling it to someone else, <laughs> so that was also hard. And then people would have, you know, cause people will have like, this is a first edition of Robinson Crusoe or whatever. And I'm like, okay, but the last copy of Robinson Crusoe that we sold, sold for $4. So you don't want to sell that to me because I'm going to give you $2 for it. <laughs> like, I understand that it's a first edition, but I'm not- We're not in the first edition We don't do that. Now. Yeah, exactly. So that was hard. Cause it would be like, this is my- mother's you know treasured hardcover of little women with like ink plate illustrations and i'm like that's so good you should take that somewhere different like yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah or there will be box sets with like one book missing oh, you know all the you time to, you're like well i i can take most of these but uh you're not gonna there there's one guy right here that should be it's just not quite and they're like well i still like that one that's you know, I think the used book office for our store is like is like different than the rest of the store. The rest of the store is kind of, you know, we're selling new books, we're we're up the moment and and the used books is just this we have scouts who come in who've got, you know, we love our scouts, we need our scouts, but they scouts are people who go around maybe to thrift stores, maybe to maybe to garage sales, you know, yard sales. You know, all the work that if they didn't do it, we might have to try to send somebody out there to find these books. But then they're all very picky. You know, we have a scout who likes to, he tries to stand over you as you buy the books, which as a used book buyer is the thing you like the least. Yes. You don't want somebody watching you as you're deciding to reject right. the books. Right, right. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I thought that one would have been... I thought, uh, I thought the help was selling pretty well. And I'm like, well, it is, but we have... Exactly. So there's kind of, and it's interesting to see the stuff that like sells as used books because it's very like enduring, you know, it's not like we get some things that are like they're new and they're, you know, a little life and they just came out and like people still want to read it because it's new. So we'll be able to sell a used copy, but most of the used stuff ends up being like the alchemist and stuff like that, where it's like, it's been out for 
ever, but somebody always wants to read it and hasn't read it and is looking for a copy to give to somebody else, you know, so that kind of thing tends to be the use you get like a weird picture of the stuff that lasts in the, especially like, I mean, that's specific to Boulder, obviously. So there's more Kerouac on the used shelf than there might be in a different bookstore, but. I wonder do people feel sort of personally offended if you don't take their beloved collection? I mean, I, I've done yes. that. Yes. You know, try to sell books that I, I've loved or clothes at a consignment mm. store. And I feel it's a personal judgment, like, your stuff is crap and we're not taking any of it. Of course, that's not what they're saying. There's a lot of other things, but you do feel that, you know, it's an extension of yourself yeah. and you're being somehow rejected. Did you ever have that? And I, well, I absolutely feel it. I absolutely feel it. Like if I sell clothes or whatever and I'm like, oh, I thought those pants were pretty, uh, pretty cute, but okay. I that's... guess I'm a moron. I've been walking around in these horrible <laughs> yeah, pants exactly. for two years. <laughs> I always... Exactly. I'm like, well, I guess I'll just throw my whole self in the trash along with these pants. The worst is the 10 or 15 year old kids books because it's usually the parent coming in selling yeah. their kid who's now in college or post-college and so now they're making it into a guest room which God knows how much emotion that is taking yep. out of them already yep. and then they bring you a box of kids books which have been beat up to death because the kid loved them right. and now the and you can't take any of them. Oh, that that's not a good scene. Unless they're coming in gleefully going, woohoo, we got rid of the kid. Now we got to, you know. Sometimes. Right. right. Sometimes. And they're just happy, like, just do whatever you can with them. But some people are emotionally attached, which is like, why are you here then? Exactly. <laughs> they're like, well, I only want to sell it if you will give me a ton of money for it. I'm like, well, that's how most things are. But that's. Or, or give it to someone who will just love it as much as we've loved. It's like, we're not in that business. You need to give that to a friend or a family member. Yeah, I've gone through that with the kids stuff as they move up, like from picture books to, I can't really get rid of them. I mean, some of them I can, if there's just books that I really never liked in the first place, I can get rid of them. But some of the special picture books are books that I loved that I forced on them. Yeah. They're not getting rid of them. I know we're, we're going through the same thing. My daughter's 13. You know, one of the things when Allie was in used books, she, she bonded with my daughter who was, I don't know, seven, eight at the time, yeah. something like that. Yeah. And they bonded over Taylor Swift because Martina, my daughter had just discovered Taylor Swift. And it turned out that Allie was the font of all knowledge as when it came to Taylor Swift. So <laughs> are you still a big Taylor Swift fan? So much, so much. Oh, I love her so much. What is um, it about Taylor Swift? I, I, never i'm too old and my kids i think are that bit too young but so i miss the whole taylor swift i will memo. say you're never you're never too old for taylor swift i was one of the people who like thought i was better than taylor swift for a long time like i was like oh she's not a feminist she sings about boys and and i sort of was recycling stuff that i had you know heard people say and seen people write think pieces about and like she thinks that other girls are bad because her boyfriend likes them and it's like yeah sometimes but that's also a pretty realistic reaction to a boy that you like liking someone else like we don't have to pretend like we're better than that but I finally I have a friend um who I did put in the acknowledgments of Covenant and she we both wrote for a music website for a while and she wrote about Taylor Swift for a whole week and the way that she was writing about her was so smart and incisive and meaningful and I was like okay maybe I need to listen to Taylor Swift just to just to be able to understand where Tess is coming from you know I don't have to 
agree with her or whatever. And that was around the time that Red had just come out. And I was driving, I was driving from Boulder to Littleton for some reason. And it was dark and I was on like six, like down along the foothills. And it was very dark. And I had gone past the power plant and everything. And I had to pull over on the side of the road because I was crying so hard. And I was just like, oh my God, she's the smartest woman in the world. She understands everything. I had no idea. I was so wrong. And I did have a friend who, uh, he always, you know, gave me a hard time in college because I was like, Taylor Swift, no. And he was like, anyone who doesn't like Taylor Swift has never listened to Taylor Swift. And I, I had to text him and be like, I listened to Taylor Swift and, and and you were right. And I'm sorry that I was like that. And so now I'm sort of an evangelist for like, you know, it's sort of like the Twilight backlash where there was a, everybody loved Twilight and then everybody only wanted to talk about how Twilight was actually really bad and damaging. And then we're sort of back in a phase now where I think you can admit that Twilight has flaws and you want it to be different while also admitting that you loved it and it was very formative and like shaped you as a whatever I was 16, 17, like it was very important to me and I really cared about it. And that can exist at the same time as I wish that we had some better ideas about gender roles or whatever. And so that's kind of the, the thing of Taylor Swift is like, you can sing about liking boys and not and and still have higher ideals than that. Like it doesn't. You can, you're not just one thing. And she's ten million things. And so that was the, the backlash against Taylor Smith, Swift reminds me a little bit of what we were talking about in the the radio broadcast about sometimes is the backlash against themes yeah. that appeal to you know teenage girls like yeah. deep friendships, the emotions, the the feelings that you have, and that's often trivialized in, in culture where it's it's such a huge part of your life at that age but also really the, the rest of your life right and people do the same thing with like pop music in general i also really love one direction and there's this idea that like if it's something that everyone likes then that makes it less good or meaningful or something which i think is also kind of the conception that people have of ya where it's like oh of course everyone's reading the hunger games like I, this is how old i am now is that that's like my <laughs> <laughs> my benchmark for the young adult stuff that everyone's reading but it's kind of the idea that like it's a trend and so that means that it can't have any like deeper meaning or value or anything and it's like sometimes people sometimes a lot of people like a thing because it's good and it can be good and also catchy and also of the moment and none of those things necessarily make it less valuable in some way or like make you less deep for enjoying it and that I think is I'm hoping that we're getting to more of a place like that with YA. And I feel like the the young YA writers who are on TikTok, who are sort of like Chloe Gong, is very cool. And I'm very jealous of her because um, <laughs> she's she's young enough to like be cool on social media and like knows what she's doing. I think she's like 22. But, you know, they're sort of accessible to the world in a way that doesn't really happen or didn't really happen when I was 22, but like, she'll be on TikTok and she'll be like, guys, I'm revising and it totally sucks. And she's just like a relatable, you know, person who could be your friend. And she likes to talk about romance and she likes to talk about fashion. And she likes to be like, well, if they were, if my characters were in the two thousands, here's what they'd wear in the two thousands. And it's like, it doesn't all have to be like a deep struggle about my craft and my, mm -hmm. you know, 
how I pulled my story fully formed from the font of my inspiration. It's like you can you can just be a person who likes stuff, and that doesn't mean it's not important. The yeah. authors are so much more accessible now. You know, like you know, I'm in my fifties, so you know, like when I was growing up in the seventies and eighties, you know, my my chances of 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 you know really communicating with an author that I admired were maybe I'd send a letter, and right? Maybe you'd get something back, and now you you see them on Facebook, you see them on TikTok, you see them on YouTube. You, I mean, it's it's really incredible, and, and some authors really embrace that. And other authors are like, I just want to be holed up and write. Why can't it be like 1974? You know, <laughs> yes. where do you fall on that spectrum? And and how do you, you know, what's your ideal really? You talked about this TikTok person you really like, but is that yeah. something you could actually do? Or, or you See, know, I 1000% um, am, am too old for TikTok. And I like to look at it sometimes. And I think it's very cool when people do it well. But I think if I were to do it, the overwhelming vibe would be like that picture of Steve Buscemi where he has the skateboard over his shoulder and he's like, how do you do fellow kids? Like, <laughs> I just feel like I would be because everything on TikTok happens so fast and everything is a meme, but it's like the speed of light. So it's like two days maybe of this one specific thing that like, I think you can reuse a sound on TikTok. So you like, you take this sound or whatever it is, like audio clip of something and then you make your own video, but that's the sound that's playing. And that happens for like two days and everyone does it and then it's gone. Mm -hmm. And then there's a new thing. And I'm like, I'm not capable of like creating something that quickly and also being fun and also being cute. And also I don't want to be seen really. I feel like a lot of the social media stuff is very face oriented. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is good for me. Just, just talking <laughs> and not having my face on stuff. But I like to talk to people and I like to engage with people who want to talk to me about stuff, but I don't have the like ease of social media in front of a large audience that I think a lot of people are starting to now as like, cause I wasn't like the internet wasn't really a thing in terms of like social media until I was probably late high school. And that was like MySpace. So it wasn't like you could be live talking to however many people follow you on Instagram or whatever, like you could go on Instagram live and people will just appear and be watching you talk. And like, I don't know how to do that and feel normal about it. Uh -huh. Are you I'm, getting pressure from publishers though? Is that an expectation of, uh, for not just teen authors, but all authors, but I would kind of expect even more so in the teen sphere. There's, there's definitely, I've been asked about TikTok. It's, it's sort of a like, Hey, what do you think about doing this? And I'm like, I don't think it's a good idea. And they've sort of left it alone, but they will send me, you know, they'll be like, Oh, I made this Twitter header for your event next week. And I'm like, I haven't changed my Twitter header in five years. Like it's, it's Melody from Josie and the Pussycat saying, if I could go back in time, I'd want to meet Snoopy because that's how I feel at all times. And I'm like, I don't, you know, and people will like, Oh my, here's my profile picture is different. My header is different. My pinned tweet or whatever. And it's like all of the stuff that's like exactly of the moment. And I'm like, I am still trying to get my website updated. <laughs> Cause my website is still like the book is coming soon. And I'm like, <laughs> so I'm not, I would love, I would love to be famous enough to have like an intern that would just like tweet for me. 
Like that's my goal is to get famous <laughs> enough and like wealthy enough that I don't have to actively be online and be like engaging with people talking about me because most of the time they're nice, but sometimes they're not. And I don't want to go looking for it, but then sometimes you have to look for it a little bit because you want to like, you know, if somebody's like, oh, this book was so good, you want to like retweet that so people see it. But so then you're kind of wading through the general stuff. And I'm like, if I just had a person who was good at the internet, you could just be like, Alison Ames wrote another book. Here it is. Click. And then it's just, you know, that's all it is. I guess I could do that myself. But well, I think you have a chance of your dream coming true. I, I mean, I think you're a good enough writer to reach that extremely low bar of fame that you want to get to where you have an intern. <laughs> where I have an you. intern, a Twitter intern. <laughs> I do. I need like, I need a cool 15 year old. We have a, Emily has a cousin. I'm like, you're on TikTok, right? Can you, can you just organically make my book go viral? She's like, I, don't I mean, think it might so. only cost you a gift card or something. You know, here's a gift card, yes. kid. Help me yes. out. <laughs> yes. I was looking at, we were watching um, The Stranger. On Netflix, we're trying to stop just rewatching the same things over and over again, but we have pandemic brains, so it's hard. But we were watching The Stranger, which is a Harlan Coben book that was made into a show, and the credits are happening, and it's like created by Harlan Coben based on his book, The Stranger. And so I'm Googling just out of curiosity, and I'm like, Emily, how much do you think I have to be worth before they will let me create the show? of my book. So not only have they given me a show, but I'm the one who's in charge of it and making it happen. She was like $12 million. I said yeah. 25, because that's how much Harlan Coben's worth. And I was like, okay, so probably it's not going to be anytime soon. That's a higher goal than having the intern help <laughs> yeah. you with social media. <laughs> yeah. That's the next level. Although when I was reading, when I was reading To Break a Covenant, I thought it was perfect for a Netflix show. Or a movie, but probably more a show because so much plays out. So to that end, has there been any discussion about, but I always ask this, any discussion about movie rights? Because it seems to be sort of par for the course when you publish a book that yeah. there's always a, a tandem discussion about movie rights. There, there has been discussion. We've, there's been a couple meetings. It's, I think, starting to accelerate. I think, again, I think horror is having a bit of a moment and so people are trying to jump on that there's been more interest in the upcoming book i think because it's a more straightforward you know there's not all the like extra found footage like mixed media type stuff um but there's yeah there's been discussions nothing has has really gone anywhere or appeared but my my agent continues to tell me that it's a really 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 long process so I just keep like I'm like my expectation is that nothing will happen because that's the most realistic thing and then underneath that in like very very small asterisk font it's like but maybe something will happen and then I'm like shh like at myself shh <laughs> so I'm hoping, but... Well, I was thinking just because this seems very of the moment with the mind thing, and not to kind of get too far down a rabbit hole, but just as we are talking about eliminating fossil fuels and all of that, I mean, they're having the mine and the coal mine in and of itself as the horror, mm -hmm. the horror character plays in so well with the catastrophic nature of the climate crisis and, and some of the discussions that are happening and, and how kids are leading those conversations. 
Yeah, it would. I mean, it would be, well, it's sort of like Station Eleven, you know, that came out, what, 2016? Yeah. And they're just now making a show. And apparently it's really good. I haven't watched it because that book made me weep like a baby when we weren't having a global pandemic. So I don't know what it would do to me now, but it's it's interesting that it kind of took this long and then it took this very specific like cultural moment for them to be like, wait, hang on, I think we have something for this. And so I do sort of wonder if maybe down the line, something like that will happen where somebody's like, oh, you know, we're having, we're having a lot of coal issues right now. I think we had something about, you know, let's go back through the files and see if we have anything about coal, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what sort of, because it's definitely, I think horror projects are very sexy right now. And people are kind of, I, we're having a sort of thing where, again, I get annoyed because everyone's like, oh, horror can be art and it can be meaningful and it can be really smart and incisive. And it's like, well, no, it, it has been. It ha Just because you right now are conceiving of it as being something more than like cute girl gets stabbed or whatever, like that's you not consuming the variety of horror that exists, but like, I'll take it regardless because it's, you know, hopefully the rising tide and all of the boats and, and what have you. But like anytime I hear somebody talk about like hereditary or something like that, and they're like, nobody's making horror that's actually about family trauma isn't it's that like, the basis of most horror <laughs> right <laughs> yes like i'm like no that they're, they're all doing that like just because there's a monster or whatever doesn't mean that it's not like i don't know so yeah so i'm struggling with that a little bit because i want people to like horror and i want them to consume it and to value it but i also don't like the idea that people are like well now it's good i'm like you know it we can we can say that it's having a moment without dismissing everything that has ever existed in the in the genre yeah we read uh stephen graham jones my <gasps> heart my heart is a chainsaw so we did a show with him and and like like you he had like five pages of acknowledgments but he but i but he acknowledged a lot of the horror things and so I went back and I, you know, I, I watched, to be honest, I watched Scream for the first time, oh which God, was a so great good. movie. It's the original so Scream good. was amazing. And uh, he pointed out a, he pointed out a Stephen King story. I mean, so it, it is interesting. It is coming up much more in the pop culture, really, of yeah. the moment. But there's a, a rich tradition there that he traces all the way back into the early 70s with the Italian yeah. horror films and stuff. Well, and I think it's very... I think, I think it's like when you see, like when, when everyone saw The Matrix for the first time, it was like game-changing, groundbreaking, like what is happening? No one's ever seen anything like this. And then it became such a thing that then like the first time I saw The Matrix, I was like 19 and I had seen every single movie that like makes fun of the matrix or nods to the matrix or like references the matrix before I finally saw the matrix. And so when I saw it, I didn't have the same kind of like earth shattering moment that I think people did. And I think that's what's happening with a lot of horror now is that people who haven't previously experienced it, but are kind of existing in this world that has been like very shaped by Stephen King and like slasher movies and John Carpenter, but like, didn't experience them at the time and so they don't have they don't understand like how much of a thing like texas chainsaw massacre was and like how 
deeply horrifying it was because now it's like, oh, scary hillbillies, of course, you know, like it's not, it doesn't have the same effect. And so trying to go back and like pay respect to those things and, and try to experience them like in the context that they were created in, as opposed to just bringing them now and being like, oh, and then he chainsaws her head off, you know? So I, I love that Stephen Graham Jones is aware of that and like going, he's so cool, but like just going back through that and just being like, well, actually here's all the things that have led to this moment and why this book exists is because of all of these people and John Carpenter and Wes Craven, like it's he's so cool. Well, it has been a delight to have Alison Ames be our guest at After Hours at the Radio Book Club. Go back and listen to the other interview, the Radio Book Club, uh, you can listen to the podcast edition or the archives at KGNU. We dig in a lot more to uh, into her book, To Break a Covenant. But tell us a little bit just briefly as we sign off about your upcoming book. It's not YA. It's no, it is YA. Oh, it is it YA. Is, it is YA. And it's about vampires. No, that one is shelved. We haven't sold that okay. one. I'm very sad about it. So if you know any any publishers who want some vampires, publishers listening. whispering very TikTok, quietly. TikTok, Alison Ames. Exactly. Yeah, TikTok. <laughs> TikTok is not a verb. I'm, I'm I don't, I don't, it might be. I have, well, they no. call it book talk. The specific portion of TikTok for books, which I do not understand, is called book talk. So I don't know where that comes in. But the new one is called It Looks Like Us. And it is young adult horror set in Antarctica. And they, the main girl who has very severe anxiety. So I was like, here I am. Um, but she goes on a research trip that's been sponsored by this big tech company to try and see if plastic pollution has made it all the way to the Antarctic. But when they get there, uh, they encounter something that they were not expecting to find that then infiltrates the expedition and the lab and everything. And it goes from there. It goes so. from there. And when can we expect this run? I want to say September 13th of this year. That's what it says on the ARC jacket. So unless something happens, that's when it'll be. But What could happen? Well, supply chain. I mean, it's all... <laughs> it's, <laughs> the, the canal, you know, they're just going to wedge another boat right in there. It used to be like 98% of those dates would be true. And now it's more like 50%. Yeah. Okay, we're all just like, whatever, we'll see. We'll right. Yeah, so that's why I'm I'm hesitant to confirm anything, but it says it on the jacket. So unless they change the jacket, we're gonna say for now September 13th, and that's well, we'll watch this space or check out Alison on, on Book Talk T O K. Yeah, the literary part of TikTok. Somebody's got to put me on there. It's Maybe not your, your upcoming intern. Just say yes. Internship applications. Also. <laughs> <laughs> you will be paid in stories. cat pictures. <laughs> well, Alison, it has been so great to have you here. After Hours at the Radio Book Club is a collaboration between KGNU Community Radio and the Boulder Bookstore. I'm Maeve Conran with KGNU. As always, Arson Kashkashian of the Boulder Bookstore, my co-host. Thanks, Arson. Thank you, Maeve.